0: SECTION Five OF TONGUES OF CONSCIENCE BY ROBERT HITCHENS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY LISA Reichert. WILLIAM FOSTER PART I one. one sad cold day in London, city of sad cold days, a man in a club had nothing on earth to do. He had glanced through the morning papers and found them full of adjectives and empty of news. He had smoked several cigarettes, He had exchanged a word or two of gossip with two or three acquaintances, and he had stared moodily out of a bow window, and had been rewarded by a vision of wet paving-stones, wet beggars, and wet sparrows. He felt depressed and inclined to wonder why he existed. Turning from the window to the long room at his back, he saw an elderly colonel yawning, with a sherry and bitters in one hand and a toothpick in the other. He decided not to remain in the club. "'So he took his hat and went out into the street. "'It was raining in the street, and he had no umbrella. "'He hailed a hansom and got in. "'Where to, sir?' asked the cabby through the trap-door. "'What?' said the man. "'Where to, sir?' "'Oh! go to... to... "'He tried to think of some place where he might contrive to pass an hour or two agreeably. "'Sir?' said the cabby. "'Go to Madame Tussauds,' said the man.' IT WAS THE ONLY PLACE HE COULD THINK OF AT THE MOMENT. HE HAD LIVED IN LONDON FOR YEARS, BUT HE HAD NEVER BEEN THERE. HE HAD NEVER HAD THE SMALLEST DESIRE TO GO THERE. WAX AND GLASS EYES DID NOT ATTRACT HIM. DRESSES THAT HUNG FROM CORPSES, WHICH HAD NEVER BEEN ALIVE, DID NOT APPEAL TO HIM. NOR DID HE CARE FOR BUNS. HE HAD NEVER BEEN TO Tussauds. HE WAS ONLY GOING THERE NOW BECAUSE LITERALLY, AT THE MOMENT, HE KNEW NOT WHERE TO GO. HE LEANED BACK IN THE CAB AND LOOKED AT THE WET PEDESTRIANS AND AT THE PUDDLES. WHEN THE CAB STOPPED, HE GOT OUT AND ENTERED A LARGE BUILDING. HE PAID MONEY AT A turnstile AND DRIFTED AIMLESSLY INTO A WAXEN WORLD. SOME FAT MEN IN STRANGE COSTUMES WITH BULGING EYES LIKE BLACK VELVET AND VARYING EXPRESSIONS OF HEAVY LETHARGY PLAYED HUNGARIAN MUSIC ON VIOLINS. IT WAS EVIDENT THAT THEY DID NOT THRILL THEMSELVES. Their aspect was at the same time fierce and dull. They looked like volcanoes that had been drenched with water. The man passed on, the music grew softer, and the waxen world pressed more closely round. Kings, cricketers, actresses, and statesmen beset him in vistas. He trod a maze of death that had not lived. There were very few school treats about, for the fashionable school treat season had not yet fully set in so the man had the wax almost entirely to himself he spread his wings to it like a bird to the air by degrees as he wandered pursued by the distant music from the drenched volcanoes a feeling of suffocation overtook him all these men and women about him stared and smiled but all were breathless they wore their gaudy clothes with an air no doubt the kings struck regal attitudes the cricketers had a set manner of bringing off dreamy difficult catches the actresses were properly made up to charm and the statesmen must surely have brought plenty of empires to ruin if insipidity has power to cause such wreckage but they were all decisively breathless they seemed caught by some ghastly physical spell and this spell was laid also upon the man who wandered among them the breath of life withdrew from him to a long, long distance, he fancied. He felt as one who, taken by a trance, is bereft of power, though not of knowledge. The staring silence was as the silence of a tomb, whose walls were full of eyes, intent and fatigued. He started when a person in uniform, hitherto apparently waxen, said in a cockney voice, "'See the chamber of auras, sir?' but he recovered in time to acquiesce he descended towards a subterranean vault as if to a lower circle of this inferno full of breathless demons here there was no rustic strangers no clergymen with their choirs no elderly ladies in command of bands of hope the silence was great and the murderers stood together in companies looking this way and that as if in search of victims some sat on chairs or stools some crouched in the dock some prepared for a mock expiation in their best clothes one was at work in his house digging in quicklime a hole the length of a human body his waxen visage gleamed pale in the dim light and he appeared to pause in his digging and to listen for sounds above his head for he was in the cellar of his house the man stood still and looked at him he had a mean face all the features were squeezed and venomous and expressive of criminal desires, and of extreme cruelty. And so it was with most of his comrades. They varied in height, in age, in social status, and in colouring. But upon all their faces was the same frigid expression, a sort of thin hatefulness, touched with sarcasm. The man wandered on among them, and saw it everywhere, on the lips of a youth in rags, in the eyes of an old woman in a bonnet, lurking in the wrinkles of a labourer, at rest upon the narrow brow of a doctor, alive in the puffed-out wax of an attorney's bloated features. Yes, it was easy to recognize the devil's hallmark on them all, he thought. And he wondered a little how it came about that they had been able, in so many cases, to gain the confidence of their unhappy victims. Here, for instance, were the man and woman who had lured servant-girls into the depths of a forest, and there murdered them for the sake of their boxes. Even the silliest girl, one would have supposed, must have fled in terror from the ape-like cunning of those wicked faces. Here was the housekeeper who had made away with her aged mistress. Surely anyone with the smallest power of observation would have refused to sit in the evening, to sleep at night, in company with so horrible a countenance. Here was the man who killed his paramour with a knife. How came he to have a paramour? The desire to kill lurked in his bony cheeks, his small, intent eyes, his narrow slit of a mouth, but no desire to love. God seemed to have set his warning to humanity upon each of these creatures of the devil. Yet they had deceived mankind, to mankind's undoing. They had won confidence, respect, even love. The man was confused by this knowledge as he moved among them in the dimness and the silence brushing the sleeve of one the skirt of another looking into the curiously expressive eyes of all but presently his wondering recognition of the world's fatuous and frantic gullibility ceased for at the end of an alley of murderers he stood before a woman she was young pretty and distinguished in appearance her features were small and delicate her brow was noble her painted mouth was tender and saintly and though her eyes were sightless, truth and nobility surely gazed out of them. For a moment the man was seized by a conviction that a mistake had been made by the proprietors of the establishment, and that some being, famous for charitable deeds, or intellect, or heroic accomplishment, had been put in penance among these tragic effigies. He glanced at her number, consulted his catalogue, and found that this woman was named Catherine Sirrett. And that she had been convicted of the murder of her husband by poison some few years before then he looked at her again and before this criminal he felt that she might nay must have deceived any man the most acute and enlightened observer no one could have looked into that face and seen blackness in the heart of that woman everyone must have trusted her many must have loved her her appearance inspired more than confidence reverence. There was something angelic in its purity. There was something religious in its quiet gravity. His heart grew heavy as he looked at her, heavy with a horror far more great than any that had overcome him as he had examined the bestial company around. And when he came away, and long afterwards, Catherine Sirrett's face remained in his memory as the most horrible face in all that silent, watchful crowd of beings who had wrought violence upon the earth for it was dressed in deceit the other faces were naked so he thought he did not know catherine sirrett's story though he remembered that a woman of her name had been hanged in england some years before when he was in india and that she had gained many sympathisers by her bearing and roused some newspaper discussion by her fate this is her story the inner story which the world never knew. end of section five.